Hey everyone, welcome back to the Holy Girl Hotline. I'm your host, Sid, and today we're talking about consequences and condemnation, as you saw in the title. So, I'm gonna jump right into it because this episode could be a little bit longer depending on how fast I go or how sidetracked I get, which y'all know I get sidetracked, so let me just jump into it. So, (laughs) this episode is talking about how we respond to our quote-unquote big sins. Now, Something I want to mention is that God does not rank our sins. To him, sin is sin. Just like, you know, something that we as humans do, it's in our nature. We love to categorize and rank things. So that's just what we do. But today we're going to be talking about our response to some of those bigger sins. Um, It could be the small ones too, but mainly the big ones. And how we react to those things. And in my opinion, and what I think is the Bible's opinion, a better way to do so. So... To jump into it, I'm going to first talk a little bit about Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve, obviously, first humans, they're the pattern, they're the template for human creation, and we can learn a lot about our human nature from studying them. Um, So one thing I want to talk about with Adam and Eve now is how they reacted to their sin, how they reacted to their rebellion against God. Um, Their first reaction was to hide themselves, was to cover themselves, was shame and guilt and to just separate themselves from God. And I think although that was the first instance of sin, I think that has carried over very much into how we react to sin in our day. Um, For me personally, when I have especially a larger sin, a sin that I would categorize as more sinful, quote unquote, I tend to separate myself from God. I tend to get distant. I tend to separate myself in shame. I tend to try and cover up the sin. I tried to I definitely put on a facade in front of other people and I make a an attempt to hide from God, but obviously he's we can never hide ourselves from him. He knows everything. But it's our typical reaction, it's definitely mine. I feel when I sin, I feel unworthy of coming into his presence because he's a good and just God. And, and a lot of times in my head it's like God has done all of this good for me. He has done so much for me. How And what right do I have to sin against him and then to come back into his presence is kind of my frame of thinking. I feel unworthy. And so I just separate myself. It's also worth noting that I've heard it said before that it's never God who creates the distance between us. It's always us. And I think this is something Bree might have mentioned in a previous episode. But God is never moving away from us when we sin. He is a constant standard. He is is a constant standard that we can find in the Bible. And the standard is perfection. The standard is holiness. And no sin can enter in his presence. Well, that is without the sacrifice of Christ. And so now that we have that eternal sacrifice, whenever there's distance between us and God, it's really greatly due to us. We tend to move and separate ourselves. And this is kind of the topic of today's episode is why do we have this tendency to move away from God? Why do we do this when we know we're saved? So to kind of help talk a little bit more about this and to illustrate this within the Bible, we're going to jump into 2 Samuel because this is something I'm studying right now. I was studying 2 Samuel 11 and 12 last night, and I felt like God kind of gave me this revelation into how I've been reacting to some big sins, and I thought it would be worthy of sharing with you guys because I know we all kind of go through those things and we have similar experiences from what I can tell of how we react to our sins. So I thought maybe if this is something that helped me, it could help you too. Um, and definitely know what you let me know what you think about it and how it helps you as well. Let me just summarize a bit of David's story in case anybody is unfamiliar. So 
David was one of the kings of Israel. He was a young man that was very faithful and obedient to the Lord and had a really overwhelming trust in the Lord that a lot of people around him didn't have. And in situations that seemed impossible, David always seemed to maintain his faith. Um, You might be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. I feel like most people are, and that's how they know about David. But yeah, David was in a situation where everybody was like, yo, nobody's going up against this giant Goliath. Like they had no faith in God whatsoever. And David had a confidence and a faith and a trust that the Lord would come through for him. And this is consistent throughout David's life. This is why he becomes king and has such success and such favor from the Lord upon him while he's in his rulership um, and even before his rulership. But just throughout the story, you should definitely read Samuel. It's really great. But yeah, David is favored by the Lord and he pleases the Lord due to his faith and his obedience. And that's something that is very characteristic of him. So when we get to chapter 11 is when things start to get a little bit interesting. Um, There's no buildup to David's fall, quote unquote. There's no gradual rise of him like starting to have (laughs) more small sins and more little things that build up, which is what you would think, you know, as a human that obviously he sins. But these are just not things that that have been recorded in the story. And I think it's interesting that it's just this kind of big immediate fall. And I think it almost emphasizes how it almost makes him more human. And, And I mean, it's something that we see the favor of the Lord has been upon him throughout this entire time. And we almost start to elevate David to a standard of perfection, but then we see even he falls. And I think it humanizes his response to his sin a lot more and it helps us to learn a big lesson from it. So yeah, that's kind of the summary of the story. But now let me jump into the part that we're really talking about, which is his fall. So like I said, David is a king of Israel at this time. And um, at a time where... A lot of his men were away at war. David was at home. And while he was on his balcony, the rooftop of his house, he saw a young woman bathing and her name was Bathsheba. And she was a beautiful young woman and David desired after her. He lusted after her. And because of this, he ended up sleeping with her. And that's a whole nother story in and of itself. I feel like we we could really go into the weeds of why she came and all that, knowing she had a husband. But that was another topic. But... Anyways, the point that I'm trying to make is that he fell into lust. And in response to this, he ended up having the husband of Bathsheba, his name was Uriah. He ended up having him killed to kind of cover up his sin. And um, yeah, his response was sin upon sin upon sin. I think he violated three of the commandments at the same time, which is kind of wild. But it's really not when you consider all the things I've done. So it's really not that crazy. But Yeah, that's the story. So he had this really big fall, but it was private and it's something that he was able to cover up. You know, the his murder of Uriah was in public. It was something that he was able to kind of do covertly. And so his response, a lot like ours, was shame, guilt and cover up. And that's how he responded to his sin. So that was his initial reaction, though. But it it, it does say in a point that I want to hit on is that. The Lord was displeased with David. And I think this is, I I hope I'm not wrong here, but I think this is the first time that we see in Samuel that the Lord is displeased with David. All the time we've seen that the Lord being pleased with David because of his faith and obedience and his faith and obedience is what really has led him to this point of high status in favor with the Lord. But we see for this first time that the Lord is displeased with him. So that's just really interesting. Um, next in the story, we go into chapter 12 and 
the Lord uses a prophet, Nathan, to speak to David. And Nathan tells him the story. Um, I'm not going to go into huge detail about it, but I'd encourage you to read it in 2 Samuel 12. But basically, Nathan tells David the story of a rich man who takes advantage of a poorer man for his own personal gain. And after hearing the story, David is enraged against the rich man. He's like, why would he do this? He, you know, he has everything he needs. Why would he take from a poor man? And Nathan proceeds to say, you're the rich man in the story. You are the one that took advantage of someone who had less than you for your own personal gain. And he says, if you wanted more, if you, if you were lacking anything, if you needed anything, you could have asked and the Lord would have given it to you. So after hearing this, David is broken and he confesses his sin. He, he says um, in verse 13, I'm just going to read it. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. So David's immediate or his more so not his immediate reaction. We talked about his immediate response to his sin, but now this renewed reaction that he has after talking to the Lord through Nathan is confession. And he is broken and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he admits it. That's what confession is. He takes the position that what he has done is wrong in agreement with the Lord. And that's confession. But the Lord immediately forgives him for this. He says, your sin has been put away. In other words, your sin has been forgiven. There was no sacrifice required. There was no amount of working or acting that David did, but his sin was forgiven. But then it goes on to say this. So I'll just pick up from the Lord also has put away your sin you shall not die. In verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. So we see in this that there is David's sin has been forgiven. The but God also warns that there will be an earthly consequence for his sin. So this earthly consequence is the death of his son. The Lord says that, yes, your sins are forgiven. Your eternity is secure due to your faith. But there will be an earthly consequence of the death of your son. And so I think there's something to be said here about the difference between condemnation and consequence. There was no condemnation in David's situation because the Lord said his sin was forgiven. But the consequence would be that he would lose his son. But I think David's reaction even to this is something that we can learn from. He just heard that he's going to lose his son. That is the consequence of his action. But David's response to this is to continue to praise the Lord. He prays, he fasts, he repents, he worships himself. He, it says that he cleanses himself. Um, so in all of this and hearing of this consequence, David is so overjoyed that there is no condemnation that he just continues to worship the Lord. And it still comes to pass that his son dies, but he still maintains a posture of faith and worship of the Lord despite these consequences. And I think that this is just something that we can learn from because Oftentimes, we either get bogged down about the consequences or the condemnation. And in this, in David's case, he continues, even after hearing of the consequence, to worship the Lord. So something that correlates with this is Psalms 51. So David also wrote Psalms. Um, this passage is about David, but he's author of Psalms. And in Psalm 51, we actually get insight into this very situation that he was going through. So I'm going to read a bit of it. And it'll kind of show us this posture of faith and repentance that he took despite the consequences that he was facing because of his actions. So I'm going to read a bit of it. Okay, so this psalm is called, Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
to the choir master a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. That's that confession part I was talking about. Verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So there's more in that psalm, but I feel like that hits on the main parts that I want to talk about. And there's a ton to unpack here, but the parts that I really want to hone in on are the parts about the confession, the forgiveness, and then the repentance and his posture after having sinned. So like I mentioned in verse four, we really see the confession or verse three and four, knowing that acknowledging his trans- his transgression against the Lord and knowing that he do- has done what is evil and that in-, in God's sight. And that's really the confession aspect. It's really agreeing with God that what you have done is wrong and what you have done is transgressed his law. Next is the forgiveness part. He says, blot out all of my iniquities. That's forgiveness. You know, it's the same way that the Lord said to him, your sin has been put away, that his sin has been removed from him. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit, teaching transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And I feel like that is the repentance part. That's the posture that he takes that is so vastly different than the way that I feel like a lot of us react to our sin is he asks God to restore to him the joy of his salvation. He doesn't ask to stay in this place of condemnation and guilt and shame. Instead, he asks for joy. And not only that, but he he asks to continue to walk in his purpose of teaching transgressors your ways. And how often do we sin and then just stay in this place of, of guilt and shame and we miss out on the opportunities that we might have to minister to other people because we're stuck in our own self-condemnation. And David takes this opportunity, as we can see more insight in the psalm, is that he asked God for joy and he asked God to set him on the path of his purpose. And another verse that I really want to highlight that I think is really important is verse 17, 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. These verses are really saying, look, there's no amount of actions. There's no amount of working. There's no amount of striving that I can do to be in your in your good graces more than I have before. 
There's no amount of working or striving that I will do to earn your salvation, but it is really my brokenness over my sin. It is my confession and it is my repentance that pleases you. I know for myself personally, when I sin, I feel like I have to earn my way back of worthiness of God's presence. I have to I have to work my way back to a state of worthiness. When the reality is, I am never going to be more worthy at a single point in my life of being in God's presence than I was before. There's not going to be a single point in my life where I have earned or arrived at a point of deserving his grace and his mercy. And that's really what David is saying here. There's no working that he could have done. There's no sacrifice that he could have given that would have delighted the Lord more than his brokenness and his confession. And so I feel like this is a really important reaction to his sin. The Lord tells David that he's going to receive a consequence for his sin because that's just how life works. It's practical. We often have consequences for our sins. And I'm going to get more into the definition, the biblical definition of consequences in a little bit, but just follow me here. David knows that he's going to have a consequence for his sin. And in 2 Samuel 12, he fasts and he prays, but then he receives that consequence, which is his son's death. And he takes that consequence on the chin. He accepts it and he continues to worship the Lord. He doesn't sit and he doesn't dwell on the state of his consequences. And he doesn't sit and dwell in shame and self-condemnation. Instead, he asks the Lord for joy. He confesses his sins. He repents and he continues in his purpose. And I think that's just such an important lesson that we can learn from someone who was in such an elevated high position. You have this righteous king who... God's favor has been upon, and he has this really big fall, this really big mistake. And he could let this destroy him. He could let this, you know, take him down a path where he just continues to be in this cycle of sin because he feels unworthy of being in God's presence. That's what we see in his predecessors, like in Judges and in in the King in King Saul before, you know, like they did not have the favor of the Lord because they chose to forge their own path. They strayed from the instruction of the Lord and they cho- they chose to define things for their own way. And as a result, they, they bore a lot of consequences for that and they lost the favor of the Lord. So David's reaction is, is really important and it's something that we can learn from is that his reaction to his sin was faith, period. His reaction to his sin was to confess and to have faith that the plan of the Lord was better than any working that he could have done. And so that brings up the question for us, which is why knowing this, knowing our our eternal salvation, knowing and trusting that Christ has saved us, why do we react with guilt and shame when we sin? When we see from David's story that it's our faith that brings about the forgiveness of God. It is our confession and it is our repentance and it is our joy in the Lord that is what keeps his favor upon us. It is not our working and it is not any level of guilt and shame that is going to that is going to please God. And so I think one of the things that answers this question for me, and maybe it does for you too, but after reflecting, I realized that it's due to a fear of consequences, yes, but also and ultimately a fear of condemnation. And so fear of consequences is fearing the earthly results of my sin. Say that I lied to someone, I don't know, that's a really bad example, but you can think of an example in your head, right? <laughs> it's the it's the fear of what's going to come as a result of your sin. But then there's a larger, more underlying fear that I think is really what keeps me distant from God when I sin, which is condemnation. I am able to put this level of guilt and shame on myself that tells me that I am unworthy of being in his presence 
so much so that I fear that I am no longer saved, fear that I am no longer allowed and I'm no longer allowed his grace and I'm no longer allowed his mercy. So I wanted to kind of distinguish biblically the difference between condemnation and consequences because I feel like that's important. That's something that comes to our minds when we sin and we have this choice of how we want to respond to it. Um, so something that I kind of categorized it as, as is condemnation is eternal and consequences are circumstantial. So to be content, to be condemned is to be eternally separated from God. But this is not the case for those in Christ. We know this because of Romans 8.1 and I'm going to read it for you. Okay, Romans 8.1 reads, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is a spiritual law. This is how I'm going to kind of define condemnation biblically here, because I feel like a lot of times we choose to define it for ourselves and it leads to worse situations. For me, I choose to define co condemnation for myself when I sin and I, and I put this on myself, this self-condemnation, whereas the Bible says that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. So it literally cannot be that I am condemned, that I am eternally separated from God. That is a to be condemned is a is a legal term it's a it's a eternal punishment and that's not something that happens to those in Christ now what the more realistic thing is consequences and consequences are circumstantial consequences are temporary consequence means you reap what you sow what you sow your actions will have real consequences your actions will bring about real fruit and the bible talks about this um, very specifically in Galatians 6-7. I'm going to read it to you as well. Galatians 6-7 reads, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. God is a just God. God is a God of justice, meaning that he is not going to thwart the consequences, the earthly results of our sin. What we reap, we sow. What we sow, we reap. Sorry. What we sow, we reap. So that basically means if you're sowing negative seeds, in your life, it's going to produce, it's going to reap bad fruit. And God, as just as he is, is going to allow those things to come to pass. In David's situation, it meant that because of his actions, his son was going to die. Because his son was born in adultery, and I'm not saying this is a matter of principle at all, but this was just in David's case. Because his son was born of adultery, God's consequence for that was that his son would die. This is a consequence. This is circumstantial. This is not an eternal condemnation. There's a big difference here. Um, so in God's justice, when we sin, there may be earthly consequences for that as a matter of principle. I'm not saying that it's going to be the same every time. It's not formulaic, but I'm just saying that this is a matter of principle. And the Bible talks about it. Um, what we sow, we reap. And that a lot of times is what I fear when I sin. But more so, I conflate that with condemnation. Instead of saying, I, what I've sown here, the, sinf the sinful seed that I've sown may reap earthly consequences, but instead of saying in this place, let me continue in worship and faith and praise of God, I conflate that with this, this negative sinful seed that I've sown has therefore eternally separated me from God. And now I'm unworthy of being in his presence. So let me just create the distance. And that's not healthy. And that's not what the Bible tells us to do. Because in David's situation, he recognized that there would be a consequence, but he didn't separate for himself from God. He went towards God. He prayed to God. He fasted. He worshiped. And he continued to walk in his purpose. And I think this is just something that's very important to take note of. Like, reaping what you sow, it, it goes both ways. Like, 
God is such a, a practical God of justice. And when we sow positive seeds, we reap his blessings and his promises, um, the things that he talks about in his word. But when we reap negative seeds, he does not thwart the negative consequences. And that's just, that's practical. But in terms of the eternal consequence, the internal result, which is condemnation, that's something that we put on ourselves that I think the enemy uses. Because think about it. How much time do we spend after we sin sitting in condemnation and shame and guilt? That time could be better spent like David, praising and worshiping and continuing in our purpose. But the enemy uses that time that we take sitting in our condemnation to steal the time that could be taken praising the Lord. He steals the lessons and the and the joy that we have gained in the experience that could be ministered to other people. He steals that and he allows us to separate ourselves from God. And the enemy wins in those situations. And I, I can sit and reflect on my own life and just think about how much time I have spent, how much how many seasons of my life I've been distant from God because I've told myself that I am condemned, that I've conflated consequence with condemnation. And that's just not biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches. And the enemy plants these things in our head from, I don't know where they even come from, but it's it could be from bad experiences. It could be from just the human, I think it's our natural tendency to kind of hide. It's what I was talking about in the beginning with Adam and Eve. And he consistently uses this lie um, that we have to hide, that we have to cover up, that we have to be in shame, in guilt. And we conflate the consequences with the condemnation. And he robs us of the blessings that can come from those seasons. And so I just want to just really hit on that. While we may reap earthly consequences when we sin, that does not mean you are condemned. God in his justice allows us to experience consequences on earth because we reap what we sow. That's practical. It goes both ways. But to conflate that with condemnation and to then separate ourselves from God is not of him. And that's not that's not from him. We may reap these consequences, but we are eternally secured by what Christ has done for us. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. No, no sin can separate us from the love of God. That's Romans 8. Yeah, Romans 8.39. Nothing can separate us from the love from love of God. So when we sin, we are still eternally secure. And that's not because of anything we've done. That's not because of any working. That's not because of any striving. That's not because of any self-condemnation, as David talks about in Psalm 51. It is quite literally because of what Christ has done for us. And we waste so much time sitting and wallowing in that condemnation that we lose sight of the lessons that can be learned, the people that can be reached, and the purpose that can be walked in because we spend so much time wasting it condemning ourselves. And so I want to challenge you and myself, honestly, because this is something that is very fresh and I'm still learning and is something that I need to take note of myself, is we need to consider our reaction to our sin. Because if we're so sure in our eternal security, if we're so sure of what Christ has done for us and we're sure that his death has brought life for us, has brought salvation, has brought eternal security... It is so contradictory to spend so much time wallowing in self-condemnation. It is so contradictory and honestly disrespectful to his sacrifice to separate ourselves from him when we sin because it's not productive at all. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make sense, but it's just our nature. And so I'm challenging you and I'm challenging myself to fight that nature. 
I'm challenging us to react like David did when he sinned and when he had this huge slip up. Instead of separating himself from God, he chose, he made a decision to come to God. He made a decision to pray and to fast and to seek God and to ask him for joy. He made a decision to confess that sin, but then turn around and ask God to help him to continue to walk in his purpose. He took the consequences of his sin. He accepted them. He experienced them. And then he chose to walk in faith. And after doing so, God gave him another son, Solomon. And if you're not familiar with Solomon, Solomon is one of the key figures in the Old Testament because he also had the favor of the Lord upon him. And he gave us Proverbs as well, which is another thing. But um, the point is that there's so much more fruit that can come out of reacting to our sin and reacting to our mess ups with faith, even if there's consequences. Accept those consequences and move on. Don't sit and wallow in this condemnation and allow yourself to be separated from God for a whole season because you're allowing the enemy to rob all of the blessings and all of the ministry and all of the lessons that could have come from that season. So move on. Pray, fast, worship, do whatever you need to do, but take those consequences and do not conflate them with condemnation because there is no condemnation for those in Christ. And if you truly believe that you're secure in Christ, then you have no business separating yourself from God because you feel you're condemned. So I'm really preaching to myself right now, y'all, but I hope it helps somebody because it's not worth it. We need to learn this lesson from David and we need to stop hiding and we need to go to God because ultimately he knows everything. He knows everything that's going through our mind anyway. So why are we trying to hide? Why are we trying to put on the front to him when we can just go to him, ask for his forgiveness and continue to walk in what he has for us? That's all I got, y'all. I know that was a lot. Actually, it wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be because I didn't ramble for once in my life. I actually stuck to the outline, but I really hope this helps. It's practical and it and it's something I really am working on in my own spiritual journey. So I hope that it helps you guys as you walk um, in your own journeys. Please just accept the lesson that David has taught us. Confess, repent, and walk with the Lord in faith. And he got you. And yeah, that's all I got, guys. I hope y'all are doing well. I really hope that you guys are enjoying your time. If you're still on break like I am, then have a Merry Christmas. Actually, I think this this episode releases on Christmas. So yeah, have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy your family. Remember the reason for the season, obviously. Um, but I expect y'all will. And yeah, follow us on Instagram. Little plug at Holy Girl Hotline. And send me questions on there and topics or suggestions or feedbacks or anything like that. Or if you just want to talk about this episode or ask for any advice or anything like that, like, please, I love talking to y'all so much. So definitely reach out. I would love to interact with you. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, It means everything to me that you took the time, what, maybe 30 minutes out of your day just to hang out with me. So I hope you enjoyed. I hope you learned something and I'll see you next Monday. Bye.